Red Pill Plus Podcast. And we're now doing News Plus Sports. There's no orange man bad, war good, uniparty mantra here. Red Pill Plus. Red Pill Plus. Sports Plus News. Done right. Chris has a fascinating background, educated as a chemist, worked in the energy industry. Is that right, Chris? That's correct. Yeah, and then went on to be a speech writer. And that's what fascinates me about you, Chris, is your variety of background. Then went on to be a speech writer for Governor Bevin there in Kentucky and then ended up in the Trump administration. So why don't you tell us about the book first and then kind of tell us a little bit of your background and how you you went from being a chemist in an energy plant to being uh, in the Trump administration. And Moonshine Over Georgia is the story of my grandfather, my my grandparents, because my grandmother had a role too, but primarily my grandfather, who was a revenue officer in the 30s and 40s. Revenue officers were the guys that went after moonshine stills. <laughs> and people in the people in this era don't realize how massive the moonshine business was in the 30s and 40s. Moonshine was the drug of choice, especially in the South. And this was a South that in the 1930s and 40s was still recovering from Civil War Reconstruction. So poverty was rampant uh, and very deep, um, almost third world conditions. And the drug of choice was moonshine, which in some cases wasn't that bad, but in many cases was very bad because many of the moonshiners were unscrupulous. Uh, they had horrible sanitary conditions at their stills and often made product that had lead in it or was methanol instead of the non-toxic ethanol. Wow. Methanol attacks the optic nerve and renders people blind and uh, also in high enough doses was lethal. So my grandfather was an unapologetic crusader against moonshine stills. He was a outstanding outdoorsman. He developed a lifetime of hunting skills and, and woodsmanship. And so he was very effective at finding and stamping out moonshine stills. And as one moonshiner I interviewed for the book told me, this gentleman was 93 years old when I talked to him. He said, your grandfather was the only man I ever knew that was fearless, and he was also relentless. <laughs> and he pretty well single-handedly shut down the liquor business in the western part of Georgia. Wow. Well, that is – I can't wait to read the rest of the book. I started reading an advanced copy and just found it so fascinating. I can't appreciate – just can't thank you enough thank you. for spending the time. And what a tribute to your grandparents that you would tell a great story but also pay great tribute to them as well. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's more than just a story about good old boys and the beginnings of NASCAR and all that, although it is those things. It's a murder mystery. It's got a lot of layers. But in the end, it's really a tale for 2023. It's a morality tale. And uh, my grandfather felt like he, he realized that he had a skill set that could help poor children in his community whose fathers were uh, infected with alcoholism or had been disabled by moonshine. And uh, he... At the peak of his career, he made $2,500 a year annual salary, mm. but he went on and risked his life pretty much every night because he felt like he could make a difference. And and, it, and that's what we all need to be in that mindset today. So really the thrill is um, it, it's, it has a moral to the story, obviously, and a lesson. And as you were talking about moonshine, I couldn't help but think about uh, you know, the drugs today and, and those laced with fentanyl and, and the parallels of yesterday to, uh, to today. Yeah, there are strong parallels. And, and at its core, Moonshine Over Georgia is a story about calling and the calling that is on each of our lives. 
You know, I wanted to talk about uh, I wanted to talk about some other things today, but I think if it's okay with you, I'd like to just stick with this story. I think it's just I would like to know a little bit about how did you go from being a chemist to being uh, a part of the Trump administration? Kind of take us down that road, then we'll circle back to moonshine over Georgia, if that's okay. Yeah, great. So I was as a chemist in a power plant. Responsibility started out being the steam chemistry in the plant, which is absolutely critical in a nuclear power plant or a high pressure coal plant that I worked in. The steam chemistry is like the blood of an organism. It's critically important and can actually be dangerous if you get it wrong. But as my career went on, I got pulled more and more into adhering to and and complying with environmental regulations. And I began to use a phrase in my own mind. We are suffering. Our, our power plants are suffering the death by a thousand green cuts. <laughs> and so I got more and more intrigued by what was driving our environmental policy and got really interested in energy policy, environmental policy. I educated myself. I ended up debating at the University of Illinois, a member of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And I was just a little guy working at a power plant at the time. Wow. Won that debate. And so I started writing. I've always loved writing for pleasure. And I kept a journal and this, that, and the other. And then in 2000, I published my, somebody encouraged me to try to get a story published. I published my first short story. That morphed itself into a political column because I was trying to do a commentary and educate the public on what I was seeing happen to the energy industry. And so I ended up, those columns and a book I wrote called Going Green about the green movement got me introduced to some political people. So I got appointed by Matt Bevan, who became governor of Kentucky, to work in his administration. And as we began to work together, at first he actually appointed me as a speechwriter. Wow. So I got to go from writing. I wrote some novels and some columns. And the next thing I know, I'm a, the, I wasn't just the chief speechwriter. I was the only speechwriter. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote for him and I wrote an energy speech for him. And he gave it. And in the audience was Secretary of Energy Rick Perry. Secretary Perry came backstage and, and uh, shook the governor's hand and said, Governor Bevin, uh, I've been governor of Texas for eight years. I was secretary of energy now for three years. He said, I think that's the best energy speech I've ever heard. And Governor Bevin did me a huge favor. He put his arm around me and said, don't give me the credit. He said, this man wrote it. So we didn't get reelected in 2019, sadly, in the Bevin administration. And just a couple of days after we didn't get reelected, I got offered a job in the, the secretary's office at the DOE headquarters. Wow. So in five years, I went from a guy who really cared and wanted to get more involved working at a power plant to the White House. Wow. Yeah, that that is a fascinating story. I, I, that is what's what's ironic uh, after I got to digging into your story a little bit was we're actually we're sponsored by a company called Purpose Media Publishing. And uh, I'm a part owner of that company. And what we do, we find people who have a story and we we get them published. We do a lot of pastors who have uh, speeches, our, our sermons, and we turn them into books, but also just people who write. And uh, so it's just fascinating to hear another author and and how you started out. And then uh, in, in the book, I'm telling you, folks, the Moonshine Over Georgia is a great, great read. Uh, I started reading it uh, and just just was really, really intrigued by it. And then to hear the parallels, uh, if you don't mind, just I know we've got probably another, what, 10 minutes or so here. 
if you can kind of give what you think are the parallels between the story of moonshine over Georgia and then where we are living uh, today. So let me start with, and thank you for those kind of words. Let me start with that concept of calling. Again, my grandfather made $2,500 a year at the peak of his career. He wasn't in it for the money. Uh, he was in it because, well, he did love being in the woods and, and revenuers spent almost all their time in the woods. That's where the stills were. But he realized that he could make a difference. When I, what inspired me to write this story was he and I were watching the Andy Griffith show. I was about 12 years old and a character came on named Rafe Hollister and Rafe was a Mayberry area moonshiner and he was doing a skit with Otis and this is where Otis was getting some moonshine and, and that's how he was getting drunk. And my grandfather became very emotional, and he, and he abruptly turned off the TV. We always sat together and watched Andy Griffith when I was with him. And uh, I said, Pop, aren't we going to finish the show? And he turned to me, and his chin was quivering. I'd never seen the man cry. Wow. But he said, it wasn't like that, boy. He said, there was nothing funny about moonshine. And he said, you think you've heard a little child cry? He said, wait till you drag their daddy out of his own vomit somewhere and take him home to a little shack. And his little children are running around in the yard at midnight almost naked, their bellies distended from hunger, and they haven't eaten in three days, and Daddy just spent what money they had on a gallon of moonshine. He said, that's when you've heard a little child cry. He said, and I couldn't help them all. I couldn't help them all. And he said that about three times, and then he just began to sob. Wow. And that moment, I wasn't even a writer, but I, at that moment, I said, I'm going to tell this story someday. Man. So, so why do I tell you that? I, I, that's not just an anecdote. That's what every American is feeling right now. We can't help the situation that our country finds itself in. We think we're just a one little person. What what difference can we make? I thought that when I was working in power plants, and I ended up writing the president for uh, a speech for the president of the United States just a few years later. Did I make a difference? Did I fix everything? No, but we held them off for four years. President Trump was the greatest energy president in our lifetime, and I say that with a great deal of, of background knowledge. So you, every person can make a difference. We don't all have to write a book or get involved in an administration, but each one of us has been through trials. Each one of us has stuff, and we all have been given, gifted. Let me rephrase that. We've all been gifted by God with something that we learn from those trials that can help our fellow man and help our community and our country. And that's what the book's about. I want to inspire people. I, I, want to, I had two goals. When I started writing the story, first, obviously, I wanted to tell my grandfather's story. I wanted to really talk about, in a high level, the concept of calling. But I also looked at the statistics from Publishers Weekly. 80% of book buyers in our culture today are women. Women are assuming leadership positions all over our nation because men won't step up. Mm. So I wanted to write a book that would appeal to women and men. And that's exactly the target I've hit. I have gotten at least 50 messages, usually through Facebook Messenger, from men that I've never met who tell me something along the lines of, I'm a bank executive or I'm a pipe fitter or I'm this or that. I haven't read a novel in 20 years, but I read yours in three days. Wow. So that's how I know I hit my target. And then women are drawn to this character because my grandfather in real life and in the book is a man of virtue. He's a man who has a heart for kids and his wife. He's not a he's not a anti-hero. The anti-hero has been so overdone in fiction it makes me sick. Yeah. Every guy that's supposed to be a good guy is an alcoholic. He cheats on his wife or he's divorced. He's got a broken marriage because he's a jerk. 
Um, and yeah, he's a good law officer, but he's got all these problems that make him really almost as bad as the bad guy. Yeah. And then the bad guy is just misunderstood. He had a tough childhood, so, you know, so, so the lines between good and evil are so blurry as to be non-existent. I don't want to tell those kind of stories. My books, the lines between good and evil are the way they should be in real life, bold. Mm. And so you know the good guy and you expect the good guy to exhibit virtue. And, and he does that. And, and I had a great model because my grandfather exhibited virtue in his real life. And that's why women are drawn to this because that's what they're looking for in a man is, as you would Absolutely. say, toxic masculinity. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and my grandfather, when we were, I was older, I was probably 20. I said, Bob, why didn't you end up going back into law enforcement? He, he remained a revenuer for a long time, and the book will tell part of that. Uh, I'm actually working on a sequel about the latter part of his career. Um, but he said, son, he said, I wouldn't be, be a law officer today. He said, when I was doing the job, he said, if you had to make a man respect the badge, you did it. There were no questions asked. He said, if you can't make people have respect for the badge, then you, that's how you get killed. Yeah. And so if he needed to put his hands on a bad guy, he did it. And he, I don't mean he abused that. He was too virtuous a man, too good a man to abuse that. In fact, if one, the moonshiner that I interviewed told me, he said, there were many times where your grandfather arrested someone at a still and he knew they had a family and he would tell them, look, I'm going to give you 30 days to go take care of your kids, get your affairs in order, meet me at the jailhouse one month from today at such and such a time. And he said he was, ne nobody ever stood him up one time because they were so appreciative of the consideration. So he wasn't unfair. He was very fair. But if if there was a guy that was a straight up thug, and there's a couple of them in my book that were based on real people, uh, if he had to haul off and knock the crap out of you, he just did it. <laughs> Man, your grandfather seemed like my kind of guy. What was his name? Uh, C. E. Miller, and everybody called him Kid, and he hated that nickname. But I, they were still calling him that when I was a grown man. Kid Miller, man, uh, I, that that's the kind of guy that I mean, I just want to meet him after just you talking about him and just reading a little bit that I did. So, man, what a fascinating, well, you, fascinating read. Um, if if you, I guess, if you were going to, because uh, we got about three minutes here, something like that. Um, uh, and, and I'm good, but I know you're you're on time restraints today. So, uh, what? What would you say is kind of because I want people to hear this. Uh, I want them to hear this podcast and I want them to go buy the book. Where, where can they get the book? Uh, Amazon or wherever. Yeah, Amazon is my publisher. I hated to go. I hated to dance with the dragon, but they pretty much own publishing right now. And they gave me the best deal. So the paperback is available through Amazon. Uh a lot of your listeners might prefer to listen because of time constraints. A lot of people like to listen to the book in the car. I've, God partnered me with an, a voice actor who absolutely knocked it out of the park. Gary Barboza narrated the book for me, and I got to direct and produce. It was one of the most enjoyable, creative experiences of my life. So I have an audio version on Audible and on Spotify. I wrote the book. I know every word of the book by heart, and I've listened to it four times. That's how I'm, that's how enjoyable Gary's depiction of my grandfather is. And uh, so I highly recommend the audio book if you're traveling, if you're going on vacation, if you've got a long commute. But, of course, as a writer, I love for people to read my 
words and, and I've got a really nice paperback. I'm, I'm in love with my cover, a really a top notch quality publication. And, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So that's on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or, uh, Audible, Spotify. And then if people, cause you just seem like the kind of guy people want to ask questions and interact with. I know I started following you on X. You, you don't look to be super engaged there, but I, I went ahead and followed you just in case, you know, we were able to exchange. No, Elon, Elon shadow bad me when I was in the Trump administration and I've never recovered. <laughs> so I, I have a hard time out on X, but I do want to get more active. And yeah, I have a Facebook page. And I'm in the process of trying to get a website up off the ground, so people yeah. will be able to get me there. But right now, Facebook or, or X, either one. Yeah, uh, and how, how will they reach you? How will they reach you on both of those? Facebook is just ChrisGates.com. I do have a Moonshine Over Georgia page they can reach me through on Facebook, and then on X, it's CSkates81. I think that's the year I graduated. Uh, at CSkates81 is on X. Man, I love awesome. to hear. I love hearing from readers and interacting. And by the way, I do have two other books. I have a novel that I wrote about Noah and the Ark called The Rain and a novel about Noah's grandson, Nimrod, called The Tower, about the Tower of Babel. Awesome, awesome. Uh, man, th- those both sound fascinating. The audio book, I just kind of got a feeling it's going to continue to be huge. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. I know you were limited on your time that you had with us. Yes, sir. I'd be, I'd be glad to come back sometime, and uh, perhaps you and I can talk offline about that publishing company. Yes, sir. I would love that. I've got some. Uh, my head was spinning because uh, you're a you're a talent. I, I read just a little bit, and I said, "Man, this guy is a great writer." And then hearing you and the audio book, I think uh, I just want to encourage everybody to pick that up. In in four or five words, uh, what would be your message to people about? What the the lessons of the book and kind of the message you want to get out to listeners? I, I'll take it more personal than even the book. Um, okay. I I was a abused, a discarded, buck toothed, sickly little boy, mm. and Jesus Christ came riding into my life on a white horse mm. when I was twelve years old, and He rescued me. And he put me in positions that I met with world leaders that I never dreamed coming from where I came from. He also gave me grandparents who I wrote the book about who taught me the Bible, who took me to church, who were always there and stable and loving all my life. Even before I was saved, he's had his hand on me. Ultimately, in the next time we, we visit online on air, we can talk about this. When I got to the Trump administration, I was invited to breakfast with the president of the United States. He liked my work so well on that speech I mentioned that he invited me to breakfast. Wow. Doc, I never got to go because two days before the breakfast, I collapsed on a sidewalk in Washington, D.C. I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm. And it wasn't just any form of leukemia. It was the most deadly form in the world. 98% of the people that get my strain of leukemia die. I'm one of 2% that survived, and I survived during a global pandemic. Wow. God put me in Washington, D.C., and sent me to the doctor's office. Now, get this. I walked into a doctor's office who turned out to be the only oncologist in the world who's ever cured my type of leukemia. And now I'm three years cancer-free and in remission. That's a miracle. Wow. So, So my point is, if God can take me and put me in the places he put me in, he can do miracles in 
every person listening to this show's life. Hey, the, the title of this episode is The Miracle of You. And whoever you Oh, wow. The Miracle of You. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, no, I, I just, I just came up with it. It's like that, that, that's it. It's the miracle of you. And that applies to everybody listening and certainly applies to Chris Gates. Man, you, you have you made so my year, Chris. I, 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 I've loved this. I feel like we're connecting and, uh, I want to do this again. Yeah. Let's talk soon. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay. That's Chris Gates. Uh, and that this has been Red Pill Plus. Wow. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. Um, man, uh, I think it's our second or third interview. Who ever dreamed it would be this? Um, man, I hope a lot of people listen to this. What a phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, wow. That's all I can say. Uh, you have to listen. Uh, to this entire interview. Um, so, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Chris Gates. Don't forget, uh, Moonshine Over Georgia. Pick up the book, pick up the audio book. Sounds fascinating. Uh, love you. Have a wonderful week and we'll talk soon. Wherever you are in the United States, all over the world, uh, there's something super special about you. Find out what it is. Uh, use it to the glory of God and to save our nation, your nation, our world. You've been listening to the Red Pill Plus podcast. Sports Plus News done right. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. In the meantime, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at Red Pill Plus and check the website at docwashburn.com slash redpill.